The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Your uh, Bible, I invite you to go with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Last week I taught on how to pray in a God-honoring way. You know, many Christians... Uh, throughout the years have, have stated to me, I mean, I'm talking about seasoned believers. Pastor, I simply do not know how to pray. Last week, we covered uh, one way to pray, and that is praying through the Scriptures, particularly praying through the Psalms. And uh, Ron and Kay, thank you so much for your uh, beautiful prayer at the beginning of service today. I hope that has encouraged you this week. Many have come to me and said, Pastor, that was really, really helpful and so I have decided to turn this into a uh, just kind of a mini-series on the fundam fundamentals of Christianity. And even for those of us who are seasoned believers, how many know that it is good to go back to the basics? And I, I pray that uh, even if you are uh, a prayer warrior, that you got something out of the message last week. And today, I'm going to move on to talk about the Word of God, how to study God's Word, and why we should study God's Word. And so if, if you are somebody who are in the Scriptures every single day, is, who is in the Scriptures every sing, single day, I want you to gain something out of this as well. So don't tune me out and say, oh, I'm already a student of the Bible. I promise you, you'll get something out of the message today if you'll listen uh, to the Holy Spirit as I preach. So, uh, that being said, I want to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to the book of 2 Timothy, written by the Apostle Paul, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm just going to read a few verses, verses 12 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And I would invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. The word of the Lord says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue, he's talking to Timothy, his apprentice, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And now, now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what we go through, that your word sustains us. Though the world around us seems to always be changing, your word remains the same. It remains true. It remains relevant. Father, we know that we as believers are to be students of your word. We're to love the word, to savor it, to read it constantly, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate upon it. Forgive us for not doing that enough, Lord, and challenge us today 
as we go through this text, to be better students of your word and help us by your spirit to savor it, not just to read it, and then to obey it, oh, oh God. We thank you uh, this morning uh, for each one here. Give us ears to hear what the spirit would say, what the word says. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, there was a man by the name of Dr. William Evans. He was quite an accomplished man. He was a pastor whose ministry kind of spread through the first half of the 20th century. He pastored, I believe it was College Church from 1906 to 1909, but he was better known for his Bible conferences that he held throughout the United States and Canada. He wrote over 50 books, but none of those were his greatest accomplishment. I want you to listen to what he did. He memorized the entire King James Bible and the entire New Testament of the American Standard Version. Has anybody in here done that? (laughs) All right, just making sure. Dr. Evans was someone who loved the Word of God. There's no other reason to memorize it, no other reason to preach it all those years. He simply loved God's Word. And my hope is that we, like Dr. Evans, would meditate upon God's Word, that we would memorize key text, and if we can, the entire Bible that we would savor and that we would obey his word. As a matter of fact, he wrote a helpful book on memorization. If you're thinking, man, I could never do that. He wrote a really helpful book that kind of gives some of his secrets. Today from our text, I simply want to look at some reasons why we should be students of God's word. And then I want to end by giving you some really practical advice on how to read the Bible. All right? So why regularly read the Bible? The challenge is this today. Let me just make it really clear. Is that you would daily, every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, that you would read the Bible. That's the aim. Okay? So why do that? Well, number one, Bible reading protects us from false teaching. Paul has just written, if you go and read some of the context of this chapter, he's written to Timothy about the godlessness that will uh, be in the last days. It's going to be a godless generation, and we know that this is true, isn't it, for our day. And then now he is warning uh, in, in verses 12 and 13 about imposters and about false doctrines. All right, so look at verse 12 with me. He says, indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and then being deceived. False doctrines were already common there in the first century. Paul, as a matter of fact, spent much of his teaching, uh, much of his epistles are, are spent combating false teachings. But now, think about false teachings today. They are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. 
Think about it. In Paul's day, they were already growing, but they did not have podcasts, television shows, Christian radio, so on and so forth. But now we have all of that in much more. We are inundated with preaching, right, and teaching. And some of it is good and some of it is bad. But here's the issue. So many Christians today are that they are not able to discern the good from the bad. And so they just assume, they hear a scripture verse used in some particular teaching, and they say, it must be of God. I was led down this road of deceit, and I was greatly deceived not too many years ago. So we have to be careful. And the only way to guard against the deception of false teaching is to know God's word for ourselves. And you may say, Pastor, I thought it was the Holy Spirit's job. Well, it is. But you know what the Holy Spirit does? He uses what we put in. Let me take you to a text. Uh, John 14, 26. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're a little freaked out that he's not going to be with them all of the time. And he says, don't worry. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and watch this, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, everything that I've taught you, because remember the Great Commission? Jesus says, go and make disciples. He's talking to his, his disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them all that I've taught you. Wait a minute, Jesus. We've been with you for the last three years, and, and, and you want us to remember everything you've taught us, and you want us to teach others that? He says, do not worry. What you've put in your hearts for the last three years by following me, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance. So you see what happens here. The Holy Spirit, as we read God's word, we meditate on God's word, at the right time, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the right texts that are going to help you in that moment. So if all you do is watch Netflix and Amazon Prime, you're going to have a difficult time knowing fact from fiction when it comes to God's Word. You don't want to say amen there, do you? <laughs> Read the Bible, number one, to know the truth and guard from being deceived. Number two, we read the Word of God because it points us or leads us towards salvation. Look at verse 15. Um, I about made up a new number there. Uh, from childhood, Paul writes, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Oh, let me just take a rabbit trail for a moment and call out to any parents in here and say, teach your children the word of God. He says, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That would be the Old Testament scriptures. He says, which, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We aren't saved, let me clarify, because we read the Bible. Satan himself knows the Bible frontwards and backwards, and he is not saved. But we are saved because the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, point us to the one who can save us, namely Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says that we come to scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. The scriptures point us to Jesus. 
The Bible reveals our own depravity and reveals the plan of salvation in Christ. Thus we know how to be saved. And then we, as we respond to the Bible's message, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? And you may argue, well then, once we're saved, we don't need to read the Bible anymore. Well, that's not true because there are three aspects to salvation. Don't miss this. We have been saved. There's a past aspect to salvation. We are being saved. That's the present aspect. And we finally will be saved. There's a future aspect. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the past. Ephesians 2.8. Paul writes, for by grace, and then notice the past tense language, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You gloriously, Christian, have been saved. Well, there are two wonderful acts of God that are included in salvation of past. And it is justification, which is what? It's to have right standing with God. Okay, It's to have a clean record before our holy God. So, You can't be any more justified than you are the moment that you turn to Christ in faith. You have at that moment right standing with God, justification. And so we look back gloriously to that moment that we first believed and know that we are justified. We have right standing with the Father in Christ. Secondly, in salvation of past, we have the blessing of adoption, Not only do we have right standing with God, but we are brought in gloriously to the family of God. And then we could say we have also this uh, new humanity. We're brought into the kingdom of God. We're part of God's new humanity. All of that has happened in the past. Hallelujah. But then there's a present reality to salvation as well. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to those, listen to the language, who are being saved. Paul's writing to believers. And he says now, not only have you been saved, but you are being saved. And he says it is the power of God. So currently, we are being saved from the downward pull of sin. Okay, It is imperative that every believer who is justified persevere to the end. And we are being saved by the message of the cross, the power of the cross. And so God is now doing a work in our lives. We're being saved from the downward pull of sin. We're being prepared, as it were, for the new creation. And we're being made new. And the Bible is wonderfully a part of this process. So you have the past aspect of salvation, you have the present aspect of salvation, and then there's a future reality of salvation. And we might refer to it as glorification. Look at Romans 5 verse 9. Having now been justified by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. There's a future aspect to our salvation. We who are in Christ shall finally and ultimately be saved from the final outpouring of God's wrath and judgment. That's a good thing, by the way. Then we shall gloriously be given new bodies 
And we shall live forever with the Lord as part of his new creation. All right. Let me just get another, another little rabbit trail here. I want to just reiterate this. We talk so much about heaven, right? And heaven is a glorious thing. There's some mystery when someone goes on to be with the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body. In other words, they pass away in this life is to be present with the Lord. Sister Mary, our, our, our dear, uh, dear member of this church, a beloved sister in Christ, went to be with the Lord. Uh, her body is here, but she is gloriously with the Lord. We miss her, but we know that she's all right because in some mysterious way, we don't have details, she is in the presence of the Lord, and Paul says that's far better. But friends, that is not the ultimate hope of the Christian. That heavenly peace of our lives is a temporary place for the believer. Ultimately, God is restoring his earthly creation. And we shall be raised like Christ with glorified bodies. And we shall live in the restored earth. It'll be a meeting place like the Garden of Eden where heaven and earth overlap. And we shall forever be in the presence of the Lord in that new creation. Amen. So we read the Bible because it points us to that salvation. And in the midst of all we're going through right now, and, and as dark as our world seems right now, when you read the Word and you get a hold of these truths of your salvation in Jesus, you can go, oh, one day God is putting, uh, His judgment will come and His justice will come and all of this will be made right and this world again will be like, it'll be a new and better Eden. God's presence will be here perfectly. Sin will be no longer. Pain will be no longer. Suffering will be no longer. Sickness will be no longer. We read the Bible because it points us to that salvation. Number three, we read the Bible because it sustains us. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now some of your translations may say it's inspired by God, but that can be greatly misunderstood. The Greek literally means that the, that, that the scriptures, the words of your Bible are God-breathed. They're his words. This alone, friends, is enough. It's reason enough to immerse yourself in the scriptures. In Matthew 4, we read that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And remember, the, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And then Satan tried to tempt him and said, Hey, command these stones to turn to bread. And in response, Jesus, quoting a, a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says these words, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to be reminded, beloved, that we don't just live by physical bread and the material blessings of this world, but that the word of God is also a vital part of our sustenance. In our small group settings, often we go around the room in different groups and we ask the question, what have you been reading in your Bible this week? And at one time or another, most of us have answered, and if we're honest, most of us could raise our hands to this. We've said something like this, I just didn't have time this week to study. 
How many hours do we have in a week? I asked this last week. 168 hours in one week. But yet we would say on any given week, we just didn't have time to be in the scriptures and pray. Wow. So a good follow-up question to that would be this. Well, did you have time to eat this week? Oh, yeah. I mean, I ate three meals a day and snacks in between and bed, you know, bedtime, whatever. Why? Because I need food to live. The problem is we value physical bread way more than spiritual bread. And we have forgotten that God's word is vital to our health. Amen? It's, it's a vital part of our sustenance. And if we knew it, if we believed it, if we realized in our hearts that this was actually the word of the living God, we would be in it every single day as if our life depended on it because it does. Amen? Why do we re read the Bible? Because... It sustains us. By the way, so many Christians are losing their minds right now over the pandemic and what's happening politically in our country, in our world. And they're freaking out. Why? Because they're in the news more than they are the Word of God. The Word of God will sustain you through this. God will work all of this together for our good and for His glory. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. We can pray and we can trust the Lord. Amen? Because his promises are yes and amen. We read the Bible because it sustains us. Number four, we read the Bible because it transforms us. We are daily being transformed as Christians to be more like Jesus. We should be. And the Bible plays a massive part in this transformation. Look at verse 16. So the word is God-breathed and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman, that would include women as well, often that Greek word would, is just inclusive, but men and women may be complete, equipped. You might underline that word equipped. It's an important word in this church. Equipped for every good work. The Bible transforms us. How? Number one, it transforms us by teaching us. Of course, the Bible is useful for teaching. I don't need to spend much time here. You know uh, that the Bible teaches us. But you know, I love the Bible because it answers life's big questions that people are asking everywhere. I think, Pastor Ben, about the EKU campus, how many students are, are wondering, what is the purpose of life? What, what happens, uh, Dina, uh, you know, after we die? Those are questions that you probably get asked all of the time. And the Bible actually answers these questions. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What happens after death? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? How can we know and please God? How can we be saved the Bible transforms us because it teaches us. Secondly, it transforms us by convicting us. That's what reproof means. Clearly, this means that as we read the Bible from time to time, something will be revealed that is in our lives that is not in line with the will of God. This morning, it may be revealed that the way you're spending your time, not including daily time with the Lord, is not according to the Word of God. And you might be convicted. I would just say to you, this is a good thing. 
because it helps chip away the impurities that are in our lives. And the point is to learn not to be condemned, but to learn to repent and move forward. So today, tomorrow, you start reading the Word of God daily. The Word convicts us. This is why it's important to read all of Scripture. Don't just pick out your you know, verses from Jeremiah that you really like, that, that, that the Lord has a purpose for you, right, and plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Don't just pick out the Romans 8, that God's working all things together for our good. Uh, you know, don't just go to the end of Revelation when everything's fixed and made perfect. No, read the tough stuff and say, Lord, help me to live according to your Word. Read the whole Word of God. And then we would do well as we read the word to listen to it. Amen? Number three, it transforms us by improving us. That's what the word correction in the Greek means here. The word actually brings improvement to our lives. It helps us live, as Jesus says, the abundant life. Amen? The Bible improves us in a way that uh, someone would improve a home, a building, or a city. I don't see the, the DeWitts here today, but uh, they're, they're very faithful members of our church. And uh, they own a uh, kind of a general contracting company, and they do a lot of remodels. Now, I don't know if you've seen any of Jeremy's pictures online, but, but they have had some really dilapidated houses that they have gone into. And by the time they're finished with them, I mean, they look like brand new contemporary home. Sorry for the monster in the baptistry, by the way. Some of you are hearing that. You're looking around. If you don't hear it, and you're wondering what I'm talking about, the water is draining there in the, in the baptistry. But they make brand new, or older homes look brand new. Uh, one of my, I shouldn't say this, this is, uh, I've already had my man card taken so many times, but I actually like HGTV, all right? But I like the shows, Nick, don't laugh at me. I like the shows that are um, about flip, flipping houses. Not that that's my gift whatsoever, but I love to watch them tear, you know, just gut a house and, and change it and make it look brand new. It's amazing to me. And so, you know, the Bible does this to us. It takes that old self and it begins by the Holy Spirit to transform us again into the image of Christ. Number four, it transforms us by training us, the scripture says, in righteousness. The Bible teaches us how to be the humans that we were made to be. It teaches us to be part of this new humanity. We're being trained now by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. We're being empowered to live this way. We're being trained for God's new creation. As we forgive our neighbors and our, our, our even our enemies, as we love our neighbors as ourselves, we are being trained for new creation even now. And it's a beautiful process. Remember, as we see the word righteousness in the text, we talked a few weeks ago that a part of walking in righteousness involves both goodness and biblical justice. It involves taking care of the most marginalized in our society, the widow, the orphan, the single mom, the poor, the helpless, the sick, the inmate, and on and on and on. The Bible trains us to walk in this kind of righteousness. And finally, the Bible transforms us by equipping us. 
Our mission in this church is to equip people to be real followers of Jesus. We, t- we are to equip people to be real followers of Jesus. You might wonder, if, if you know anything about this ministry, you know that we take the word of God seriously here. I don't take what I do behind this pulpit lightly. I don't take what's taught in our small groups lightly. I don't take what we do on Wednesday nights lightly. Why? Because the right teaching, rightly dividing God's word is how we are transformed. It it equips us to be the men and women of God that we are supposed to be. Only when it's rightly read. So why read the Bible? Because it protects us from false and dangerous doctrines. It leads us to salvation. It spiritually sustains us. And it transforms us. And let me just close by telling you how to read it. How do you read the Bible? I'm just going to move through these very quickly. Number one, when you read, ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. When you open the Bible, I don't care how smart you think you are. The Bible says that spiritual things can only be understood by spiritual people. Say, Lord, give me wisdom to see the truth in this text. Number two, know the overarching storyline of the Bible. The reason I played the Bible Project video this morning before my sermon is because I want you to see how the whole Bible fits together. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 66 books written over a span of many centuries fit together like a glove. And the Bible will come alive to you as you see this common thread, this meta-narrative, the overarching story. By the way, on our Facebook page, uh, it should have just posted uh, the link to that video. And there's a series of 19 short videos you can watch with your family. And by the way, I know it's like this cartoon, this illustrated video, but these are used in college courses. They're produced by Tim Mackey, who is one of the greatest biblical scholars of today. And it is a wonderful resource. That's 19 videos just in the series, How to Read the Bible. Additionally, there's a video for every single book of the Bible. It gives an overview. It's tremendous. So as you're reading alone or with your family, before you started the book of the the Bible, I encourage you to get on there. They're all free. And watch one of those videos. It'll help you immensely. So know the overarching storyline. Number three, I encourage you to read through the entire Bible every one to three years. All right? Now, when you're reading through the Bible, don't be tempted to get caught up in every little detail. Just read it. Familiarize yourself with the story. By the way, I encourage you to read an easy, easily read translation. For instance, the New Living Translation, the NLT. It's, I would never use that for a study Bible, but it is great for a read-through. It's a very easy read. And you'll be surprised as you do that annually or even every three years. If, you, if you're reading the scriptures through every day, you'll start to know the Bible. It'll start to make more and more sense to you. So every one to three years, um, read through the Bible. In addition to that, study in depth every day. If you could take 15 or 20 minutes every day in, in, in addition to your read through, and you can take a passage Read through a a book of the Bible at the time, not in one sitting, but it might take you three months to get through Genesis, verse by verse. But don't, don't just open your Bible and do this every day, okay? 
That seems really spiritual, but it's going to help you if you'll read the, the Scripture in context. Okay? Book by book. And I would encourage you in your study time to go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. For instance, you might start in Genesis. And then when you're done with Genesis, you might go on to Matthew or the, perhaps the book of John, one of the Gospels. All right? So study in depth. And then this is a good one. This is key. Before asking, how does this apply to my life? Ask, what did this mean to the original biblical audience? Teach your kids to do this. When you read a passage together, don't say, what does this mean to you? That's a really bad question to start with. Say, what did God mean in this passage? What does it say to the original biblical audience? Okay? I've I've heard people say, well, there are many meanings to Scripture. Nope. There's one meaning in every text. Now, once you get that, there are many applications. So once you say, this is the meaning, now, how do we apply this to our life in our situation? All right? Number six, and I'm almost done. Use a, uh, use a commentary or a study Bible. All right? Important to, to add that the commentary is not God-breathed. It's opinion. Well-studied opinion, but opinion nonetheless. All right, some good ones here. The ESV Study Bible, uh, then a g- real different perspective, N.T. Wright, uh, the New Testament for Everyone. The Fire Bible is a good resource. Uh, there are many, many. John MacArthur has a New Testament commentary. And in all those are, I mentioned, there are things I disagree with in every single one. But they're still going to help you. All right, they're still very, very helpful. And then finally, uh, and I don't say, say this pridefully at all, but lean heavily on your local elders, pastors, not TV preachers, please. All right? The scriptures can be difficult, but pastors, preachers, teachers are given to you as a blessing to help you understand the historical context of what you're reading to help bring out the truth of God's Word to you. So if you're struggling, come to us. You're not a bother to us. There's nothing that delights my heart more than when you ask me a theological question, a biblical question. All right? So there it is. That's some tips on how to read the Bible. In closing, just the final illustration here, Professor N.T. Wright in his New Testament commentary, he tells the story of an American professor who went to Oxford to study abroad. When he and his wife arrived, they were looking around one of the older parts of the college, and there they found what appeared to be the remains of this ancient kind of crumbling stone building. Upon further inspection, his wife saw the windows had some curtains in them, and she exclaimed, Honey, these ruins are inhabited. As a matter of fact, she was so moved that that became the title of her book where she wrote about her experiences that year, These Ruins Are Inhabited. She was thrilled to find that these old buildings were still alive, so to speak. The Bible is an ancient book. It is. And it may appear to you as being outdated, old, ancient, But if you will read it, and you'll open your heart, you will see curtains in the window. And you'll say, wow, there's still life. This word is alive because it's God-breathed, and it will change your life. It changes my life. 
read it, savor it every single day. And if you're not savoring it right now, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God. Say, Lord, help me to savor your word. Let it be a priority in your life. Let it be a priority in my life. May me memorize it, meditate upon it, savor it, and obey it as God's children. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.